You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello. Morning. Hello. Hello. Both well? Yes, yes. Doing fine. Uh, coping. Good, good. Jen, you're okay? Yeah, I've had a week of reacting <laughs> to a booster vaccine, but let's not go down that road again. Okay, um, let's not talk too much about health, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you're well this morning, that's good. Um, I've got a question for you today before we start, which is, uh, I think I might have asked this before actually when we were talking about Joseph, but are you big dreamers? <laughs> you mean during the night or during the day? I mean, when awake, Anything honestly. you like. Anything you like. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have quite a lot of vivid nighttime dreams, I would say, which means I must wake up during my rapid eye movement. Don't think I had one last night though, but I, I do. I do have quite crazy dreams, and then sometimes I have quite good dreams that I wish I could go back and go back to sleep and get back into it and see what happens. <laughs> Does God ever speak to you through dreams? I hope not. Not the oh. kind of dreams I have. Maybe I, oh, I, I see don't know how I would. But then you see, I know you. Well, I know we're here to talk about Zechariah, but yeah, since reading Zechariah, maybe I should be thinking that sometimes in the most bizarre thing, God could speak to you. So mm. maybe. And I do well, dream. I do dream a lot during the day as well. I like to imagine and think and create and wonder. So that's dreaming, isn't it? That's true. That's true. That's great. Neil, are you a dreamer? Um, yeah, have have the odd dream. I haven't had one in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, but, but, but do you know? Right, conversation, so was it? Okay. Yep. The interesting thing is, I'm going. Yeah, but I'm not going to say that on the podcast. <laughs> there, there, there's something about them which are very personal and would be very wary of of, of sharing them. I mean, yes. I think because some of them are bonkers, yeah. uh, and also because um, some of them, yeah, address some of our deepest hopes and aspirations. And That's true. Uh, yeah, so when you were saying that, I was going. <laughs> Thanks, Yona. And no, I'm just going to clam up at that point, which I suppose shows just we're going to come to Zechariah's dreams. I wonder if he had the same vulnerability about sharing this. You know, you know, as we're about to say, you know, some of the dreams here are pretty close in the line of bonkers. You know, yeah. it takes yeah. a bit of guts to stand up and say this kind of stuff. You know, you're very, very vulnerable. You know, yeah. everybody talks about Martin Luther King's speech, um, I have a dream. Uh, but what we forget was he wasn't going to say that on the day. He uh-huh. he was holding it back. And there was a, a blue singer in the crowd, a woman, who said, tell them about your dream, Martin. He had mm. to be prompted. So there's something about sharing dreams, which is quite vulnerable. My dreams often uh, reveal my deepest fears as well. Mm. And I have recurring dreams and when I used to lead residential events for young people, I would say maybe three months before the event, the the fear dreams would start. <laughs> and I'd have young people getting off the bus and nobody told them where to go and they'd all be on the roof of the buildings and there was the wrong people there and nobody nobody knew whose MD's name was. And but it was it was all connected to things that I put lots of energy into making work and, and everything had gone, like I'd done no preparation. That was that kind of and I, and it's not just about that. I have fear dreams about other things in life. So it's, yeah, it does very revealing dreams, aren't they? Yes, very revealing. And we've we've opened up a whole thing about all of our psyches. But yes, uh, <laughs> interesting question for me. I think I mean I I do have recurring dreams, and I think God has spoken to me through dreams before. I think we're weary in the West of of talking about mm. that quite often, and I'm interested in the fact that sometimes when you hear testimonies of people. Mm. in other parts of the world often dreams play quite significant parts in that spiritual journey so yeah interesting topic but that's not what we not directly what we're here to talk about this morning i just thought it was a fun question to start with rather than you know how's your health and um, it's not have... what we're directly about to talk about in a book which has eight dreams <laughs> <laughs> well we're not here to analyze our own stress all right dreams. sorry that's what i'm not here to be freud with that. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i just wanted to be clear about that from the outset um we have however had some correspondence oh exciting. happy days in our in our and inbox in our inbox and it's from kate scott i don't know if it, did either of you know kate scott oh yes yeah kate's yes. in aberfeldy 
Yeah. There we go. I'm, I'm slightly wary always of saying, in case I realised that I, I did know the person and, and had forgotten. I mean, it's a relatively so common name, but I suspect it's Kate from well, That's true. But She's what wonderful. Kate says is, I love this actually. She says, can't have you, I can't have you having no correspondence, folks. <laughs> love listening to your banter and nonsense and wise words. She puts those in capitals, um, of course. I also, I always find something to giggle about and I look forward to each broadcast. So thank you to you all. So oh, thank you for Kate. that, Kate. She's that's great. great any, anyone else had any Yeah, well, another piece of um, Aberfeldy uh, listener feedback. And it involves actually, I, I hate to say it, um, Fiona and Jen, you're going to have to give an apology at the end of this one. Um, so, yeah, uh, because it involves a couple called uh, Douglas and Liz McCrudden who um, were listening to the podcast on Monday whilst they were driving round the roundabouts of Perth. And at one point, as they were on a roundabout, the, the, the podcast at that very moment became too interesting. And... <laughs> They, they missed their turn off and uh, went on a big long drive in the wrong way and had to try and get themselves back. So it can't have been me. It must have been the two yeah. of you. So uh, yeah, you uh, Liz and Douglas, I know, apology, not only for being too interesting, but for being too interesting at a critical moment on a roundabout in Perth. Well, we're very sorry about that, Liz and Douglas. Although, you know, you take your responsibility for your own driving yeah. actions. <laughs> sorry, <that>. not sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. I don't think I'm really sorry for being interesting. <laughs> I'll take that. Brilliant. Well, as usual, we love Hayafi Correspondence. It's great when it's encouraging. It's great when it's funny. It's great, actually, also when there's no hard questions. Although we are saying if anybody wants to ask hard questions, then that's the way to do it. Um, you can do that by contacting Outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Jen, I've been handing out family packs to a few friends and they've been well received. Good. So that's good to know. Yeah, I've been hearing lots of stories, actually, over the last few days of people giving them out at uh, carol singing community events, people giving them out to the brownies, the BB, uh, all over the place. And uh, I think because th it's only seven days, even if you feel it's quite near Christmas when you're listening to this, if you've got time to order them and get them, uh, there's it's only a seven days, so people could do that even into the Christmas holidays because the Bible passages take you to when Jesus had to, and his family had to leave and go to Egypt. So it's, it's not just an Advent resource, it's a Christmas resource as well. So don't hold back. On ordering your Christmas journeys, yeah, and and I would say as well, I don't I don't quite know how to say this, but they're really they look really great. They're really brightly coloured, mm. and they're kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't feel like oh here's Fiona giving us a holy present. Yeah. <laughs> the sticky <laughs> stars compared to all the other yeah. fun things at this time. Yeah, you know they, they look really great. Yeah. So sticky yeah, stars and a... world map. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really cool. Uh, I have also heard of somebody who was listening to the audio as as she messaged me, but she didn't say whether she was enjoying it or not. So I don't know how that went. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's driven off the wrong road, and has, we don't know where she Maybe. is. Exactly. Uh, you should so, just say, "Oh, do, you should reply by saying delighted that you're enjoying it," and then they reply back and go, "Didn't say, didn't mean that." Exactly. Exactly. Well, she was listening with her wee boy, so he's in my church. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, I guess the test will be if he comes up and talks to me, or is completely awestruck because <laughs> he sees me. Are you um, the Fiona? I know. Are you the one who's been on the journey around the world? Uh, anyway, so don't forget, love to hear from you. Email address for that is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. And even if you don't have any hard questions, you could drop us a friendly note like Kate did. We'll take anything, basically. All right, I think it's time. <laughs> don't make ourselves sound <laughs> too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that on that note it's time for Glover's Off Glover's Off this week is about Christmas talks sermons and dramas which moan about Christmas I can't stand them I'm so fed up with them now the origin of this goes back to uh, the part of Edinburgh where I grew up in which Fiona you and I only we've known each other for 20 years and only about six months ago discovered that we grew Honestly. up almost identical parts of Edinburgh <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're almost exactly the same age. Uh, and I, I, we've got lots of people I think we know in common, but I don't think we ever met each other back in those days. But um, I used to go to our, the, well, for a long time, my teenage years, I didn't go to church, but the church my family were part of was in the centre of Edinburgh. But um, on watch night service, we used to go, and all the Venture Scouts that I was part of, we used to go to the watch night service in a local church, it was very near where, where you were. And it was the same sermon 
every year. It was, now, don't forget, in amongst all the wonderful food and all the amazing TV programmes and all the great parties you're going to go to, don't forget, in amongst your all your love of being with your family and friends, don't forget what it's really about. <laughs> it's about the baby Jesus. And... and <laughs> I just hated this. I hated it. I hated it because it, the emotional journey was you, you're hearing all the things that go, oh, I love that. I love the food. I love the friends. And I love all the gathering. I don't forget it's the baby Jesus. I'm like, What's that about? I mean, how do you actually relate to the baby Jesus as any sort of material concept? And, but also I, I've come to loathe it as well because it's so... It, it says that God has to only exist in a place where you do this as the baby Jesus bit. It's the thing that we were rebelling against the other night, or the other night, the other last podcast, where it was the you know the youth club, and then you had the God slot at the end. It it goes against the whole idea that as we we read in Nehemiah and Ezra that when they gathered to God, there was much feasting and celebration. Now I'm not wanting to defend the excesses of Christmas. You know, the overconsumption, uh, the pressure that, and debt that people to go into, clearly that needs to be critiqued and, and spoken against. But, but the notion that God is apart from celebration, the, the notion that God is apart from great art, even the notion that God is apart from the kind of, kind of I don't know, nativity-based telling of the Christmas story, which is full of craziness, God is in, Christ is in all things. And I think that we meet Christ in all these things. Yes, if, if that, if it's devoid, and almost we do the job of the marketeers, the, the, the atheists for them, if we say that, that Christ is not part of all of those things. So my Glovers Off this week is against a sermons or dramas. Or did, you ever, did you ever do that drama where you got, it was a photographer doing the nativity scene and they keep adding lots of people in so that there's Mary and Jesus and then we've got to add the wise men and then we've got to add the shopkeepers. And then the photographer at the end, it has so many people in his shot, that in his show, that they say, uh, oh, uh, there's no, not enough room. Let's just get rid of the baby. I mean, it's just nonsensical. It's, it doesn't work as a drama apart from anything else because the baby isn't taking up any room. But yeah. <laughs> and what photographer would actually get rid of it? It's just nonsense. But it's that whole, whole genre of talk, drama. Can't stand it. So please don't moan about Christmas. It's great. Love it. I mean, thank you. That, A, <laughs> no, I've never taken part in that drama. <laughs> B, I have come across dramas of a similar ilk, though. Yeah. Um, and see, that was a proper Glover's rant. It I was know a it's Glover's rant. off and not Glover's rant, but that was a proper Glover's <laughs> rant. Nice. Thanks for that. That's great. Uh, brilliant. Okay, so celebrate along with the best of them. Um, today we're in the book of Zechariah, so we're reading chapters 1 to 14, quite a big, chunky old read today. We're back in the land of prophecy and poetry, away from the history books, um, but what we've said over the last few episodes, and um, the stuff we've been talking about plays into what we, we are then picking up when we read the book of Zechariah. Neil, what should we be noticing as we read this? I think the, the historical context is the thing we have to remember. It's this cataclysmic event where Israel has gone into exile principally in the year 586 BC. And then in 539, Cyrus has asked or has given permission for people to return. So the Babylonian Empire has become the Persian Empire at this point. And um, uh, Cyrus is very keen to, he recognises that to sustain the empire, different cultures need to have a chance in a sense to have a degree of autonomy. So the, this miraculous answer to, to prayer and a, the the people return in five three nine, but it doesn't all go to plan, and a, the folks a, they they try to rebuild the temple, but they have a false start, and then two prophets come along in the second year of uh, King Darius, which I th I think is about uh, the year five one six um, BC, uh, sorry five two zero BC, 
and uh, they are Haggai and Zechariah. And what's very interesting is that the biblical account puts their dates very, very closely together. So Haggai appears in the second year of Darius, the sixth month and the seventh month. These are very dated. And then one month later, we get the first prophecy of Zechariah, which is in the second year of Darius in the eighth month. So these two parallel prophets are, are operating together. Now, Zechariah will go on a little bit further than Haggai. Haggai is a very short career. But but we'll come to this later on as well. What's interesting is, is Haggai is much more what you'd kind of expect from a kind of, I don't know if not quite a football manager, but he comes in and he says, right, come on, we need to get going. God will be with us and we're dishonoring God if we don't get a move on with the temple. It, and he has a few images, but it's pretty straight. What we're going to come on to in Haggai is like, ooh, it's just like the fireworks going off. Um, so, but he's operating alongside Haggai. In, in Zechariah. So yeah, okay, yeah, okay, go yeah. Go yeah, I think you said Haggai. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Very helpful. Now, Jen, you messaged us on the group chat last night and you said that you thought Zechariah might have been running on, might have been running an elevated body temperature <laughs> during the first six chapters. Did the latter part of the book change your opinion? Are you still of the opinion that he's hallucinating? Yeah, he, he's, he's definitely um, being very honest in what he's dreaming and the, the dreams are very strange and unusual. And I, I suppose I... I did start to read Zechariah for this podcast. I had read it a few weeks ago when we did the overview. And I, and I came with a heavy heart. I thought, I think I've said this before, haven't I? I was like, I don't really, I don't really want to read Zechariah. It's too difficult. It's a difficult book. Longest minor prophet and all that. And um, I was counting the chapters. How long would this take for me to read it? And um, I, I was quite, I was quite, I was really pleasantly surprised, actually, how much I enjoyed the strange visions. I just kind of went with it. I mean, if it early on into chapter one, it's a bit where the angel turns up and then it kind of seems to take Zechariah on this journey and it shows him things. And it reminded me of Christmas Carol, which uh, uh, don't we all mm. love it anyway? So it took me, and maybe, and maybe that helped me to understand that I, I wasn't reading some kind of historical document, but I was reading a story. And, and there's just, there's so many good things in it about measuring and the lovely thing with the olive oil being poured, coming from the trees directly into the lamps and, and, and God saying, this, this is my power coming directly into you. You don't, the priest doesn't need to be there. But then there is some really difficult bits as well. So the image of the woman in the basket who's representing all evil things and it's a woman being carried by two other women. I would love to talk about that because uh, the fact that women is the representation of evil needs to be discussed. Um, and then, and then, then it's a real shift in, in in tone when you get to the end of it. But I I appreciate it a lot more. And chapter eight has one of my favourite parts. I, I don't like to have favourite parts of the Bible. I don't think we can really do that. But there's a bit in chapter eight where it says that Jerusalem will be the place where old men and women lean in their sticks while uh, children play at their feet on the street. And that's just a beautiful image of community. So there's some really great stuff in here. That's great. It's great. Well, lots, lots to talk about there. Um, can I start by asking a question which has been sort of um, mulling around my head for the last few weeks as we've been talking through this whole series, which is, I think, as somebody who grew up within a church context and church context where Bible teaching was really good, I feel I've got a good grasp of how scripture fits together. Um, I am really struck in my own responses to this that it's only really now that I'm realizing that what you just said, for example, Neil, that Zechariah and Haggai are written together. They're written alongside um, Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, that fits together. I mean, I, I knew that Ezra and Nehemiah fitted together. But why is it, do you think, that we we are, I think, pretty ignorant in our church circles of how all of this fits together? Is it just too too much to contemplate, do you think? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it, it, it goes into a bigger question about how, you know, so... As a minister, how do I choose which books of the Bible or how mm -hmm. do I choose which themes we're going to look at? Now, I often use a thing called the lectionary. Um, other times you'll, you'll go through series. And, you know, there are a few big series that you'll you'll probably go through. You'll, you'll probably do a series on one of the Gospels. You might do a series on Romans or Galatians. You know, famously, there was that Puritan who did a series on Job uh, to a congregation of 5,000 and, and ended it to a congregation of five fifty 50 years later. You know, Rob Bell began his ministry with a series on Leviticus. There's there's not many times I think you'd you'd get to Zechariah 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not something that you're going to choose uh, for your Christian Union weekend away. Uh, that'll be Second Timothy, uh, or if you're <laughs> going to do your if you're going to do your church uh, rebuilding program, it'll be Nehemiah. It's when would you ever get to Zechariah? And mm-hmm. yeah, as we're discovering, I mean, I'm actually tempted to do one, but I, I mean, I'm just scared that somebody turns up the week that I'm doing the woman in the basket. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's hard. It it's not a book you would readily come to, and yet, it, out of all the minor prophets, it is the one which is cited the most in the New Testament. This was clearly a really important book for New Testament. Uh, writers um there's seven direct allusions and there's 67 um a looser allusions or, or verbal parallels with second mm-hmm. there's some lovely pictures in it aren't there yeah yeah i think i wonder as well just i just when you asked that question fiona and i would come from a very similar church background to yourself i wonder if it's not just about not using certain books of the bible to preach from in a church service but also how we talk about the bible Yes. And how we approach the Bible. And and this has just been the last few minutes I've been thinking about this, so I don't take it as some thought through reflection, but I don't really remember ever, you know, it's just like, this is the Bible, it's God's word, you need it, and God's going to speak through you, rather than saying, uh, you know, the Bible's complex, the Bible's ancient, uh, some things, this is how things fit together. And not, I mean, you wouldn't want to be doing that all the time because it may not be very interesting and wouldn't apply very much to your life, but that is part needs to, maybe needs to be part of the teaching and the conversation, like what the Bible is and and how we relate to it to help us understand how it all fits together, rather than just being presented as this is God's word and it's going to help you follow Him, which it does. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> maybe there's been things lacking sometimes in in how we talk about the Bible or how we even sometimes overly revere it. Yes. I wonder. Yes. And I wonder, there's maybe a bit of cursive knowledge goes on as well, where, you mm. know, if you have studied, you know, to degree level and so on, in order to, to be ordained, you know, you have such a depth of knowledge that maybe it, it can be quite hard sometimes to, to remember what it's like not to have the knowledge and, and how to communicate. Mm. Oh, and yeah. How to I know. Put things through together. Yeah. To, yeah. Sorry. I, I, no. I remember <laughs> doing a quiz at the end of my. Um, first year in my placement parish um, the minister Graham uh, said it'll be quite interesting for the Kirk session to find out you know just what do you study at um, at university so I put together a quiz of basically biblical questions I think there was 10 of them or something like that of what I thought were easy questions yeah. <laughs> people were just getting one out of ten and two out of ten <laughs> it was even things like um, I remember one of the questions was um what does CE stand for as in common era? You know, because uh, in, in university you don't put AD, you put CE and, uh, and BCE uh, because uh, otherwise it's privileged. And I remember explaining them to them something which I thought was just a fairly given concept that you didn't use AD and BCE, you used CE and BCE. And they were like, what? No way! That's outrageous! <laughs> so... I know it's tricky, isn't it? And also, you don't want to over you. You don't want to make people feel stupid either. So sometimes it's easier to jump, I, to jump to the application. I asked them a question about Q, which is the kind of you know the hidden source behind Matthew, behind uh, Matthew and Luke that the two gospels are meant to be based on. It. It's totally obscure. I was asking them about Q, and they're just going, "What are you on about?" Is that another guy in James Bond? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> or there's a conference Q or Q and on, I suppose. Um, yes. Yeah, and it's also so so it ties in with what we were talking about in our previous podcast about um, it's not just a cognitive thing, a relationship with God and our connection with the Bible, but I think we do have to work out how we increase our understanding of what the Bible is without doing that all the time. Yes. Well, and, I mean, and... if nothing else to take away, I have a, a new desire to kind of get into the minor prophets. A bit like you were saying, Jen, about just, you just got to kind of roll with it, haven't you? Dive yeah. into yeah. it and think, this is bonkers, yeah. but I'm going to, yeah. So if nothing else, I've learned something. So that that's good. Anyway, very good. Uh, let's have a think about the, the shape of the, the book. So there are six visions, eight visions. Eight visions, yeah. Eight visions. And they it, kind of parallel actually, each other, don't they? Yeah, and it's, it's for all that we're talking about, the kind of... Um, the, the strangeness of the book structurally it's very very tight and 
clearly a lot of kind of a discipline has been exercised in the putting together of this. So there are there are two two parts to Zechariah. Um, the, there's Zechariah one to eight, which is based around these eight visions, albeit with an interlude. And a, the there is the vision of the horseman. That's vision one. The horse. Then it's the blacksmith and the horns. And it's the measuring line. That's three. Then there's a, the vision with Joshua and Satan, and the lampstand there at the heart. And then there's a flying scroll, which is number uh, six. The woman in the basket, seven. And then we end where we started with the four horsemen in, in vision eight. But actually, there's not only do, does it top and tail in the same way but sorry it's no pun intended with the the horseman but it also there's a structure within a uh, biblical scholars call that a chiasm and a there's a movement from the horsemen which go across the whole of the earth and then it, it moves down into judah and then jerusalem and at the heart it takes place in the temple and then we move back out again so we move back out into judah and then we they, we move to shinar which is a, a province uh, of babylon and then we end up in the earth again so there's a journey from the whole whole cosmic journey right into the heart of jerusalem and i think the book is is saying something here which is what happens in the temple is profoundly important for the whole of the earth and we can explore that in a bit but i think that's just a stunningly beautiful vision to have and then the second part of the book 9 to 14 uh, many biblical scholars think this might have been a disciple of Zechariah that, that wrote these parts or a follow-on it's a very different style it's much closer um, to uh, the prophecies that we would for example associate with Isaiah but but it's it's a vision of of renewal of judgment on the nations but these chapters must have been very important to Jesus because they are they are quoted often referred to often most famously uh, your king rides uh, on a donkey that's in there uh, the 30 pieces of silver uh, that, that's given to Judas is in there uh, the prophecy about uh, they, they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered that that's mentioned there arguably Jesus's criticism of the temple um, echoes the very very last part of of Zechariah and then there's the part about they shall look on him whom they have pierced so th th these chapters remarkable huge number of allusions to the life of Jesus mm. Mm. so what about the what about the woman Jen you said you wanted <laughs> to come back to this the woman in the basket in chapter five yeah so so one of the visions is a woman uh, this basket that's flying through the air and uh, well, there's a lid in the basket, and the lid's lifted off, and there's this woman sitting inside, uh, and then she's pushed back down, the lid's put on, and then these other women come with their wings, and they take her away, and uh, Zechariah asks the angel, "Where are you taking the basket to the land of Babylonia?" Uh, and it'll be in the temple there. And I'm presuming from that that this woman represents all evil. If if Babylon represents evil. And, and and I don't want to let that just sit there, that we have a woman being the representation of evil. So I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on it and how we deal with that. Oh, yeah. It is. I mean, I, if I'm honest, I rebel against it. Um, it, it fits into that thing where the, 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 the portrayal sometimes of women in the church are either as virgins or harlots. And it's it's that, it, well, both mm. are there because you have the woman taking them away. Um I guess if there was another vision next to it in which a man was also the personification of all evil, it would be it would we could live with it a bit better. Um it yeah, it it seems to speak to the wickedness of empire. Uh, there are elements here about um trading iniquity and, and false weights, uh, which are, are, are part of this. So it's about empire, it's about economics. And we later on, of course, see this in Revelation as well. Yeah, I I think I struggle with it as well, Jen, uh, that the woman becomes the personification of evil here. I mean, I, I was definitely going to go to Revelation. I'm sort of, I don't know if anybody can, Amy might edit out, but you can hear me kind of flicking through my Bible to, to try and find the, the, the chapter in Revelation. It's Revelation 12, isn't it? Um, it reminded me a lot of that, that kind of, yeah, the personification thing. I, 
are we are we getting in are we getting our knickers in a twist though about this because is it is it simply that it's like a like a lot of what we're reading in here it's this crazy you've you've already said that Jen that it's this kind of crazy language imagery um are we putting something onto it because it's a woman or do you think do you is your objection that there is a fundamental problem here there is a fundamental misogyny going on here well or is it simply that there's a picture of something? Well, it is a picture of something, but there must be an underlying belief whether, you know, that that for Zechariah to... Why, why is it being represented in this vision of the woman? And it is, it is misogynistic. I think we have to recognise that. I don't think we yeah. could just say, well, that's okay then. Um, and, and yes, we recognise that. It's a recognition of the, where the how the Bible was written and where it was written. That is the culture we're in, but so how do we deal now in the culture we're in, and we and the recognition that we know Jesus gives to women, uh, particularly in Luke's gospel, um, and the women are the ones who come to the tomb and tell the world that Jesus is alive. So it's putting it in the whole context of the Bible, um, and yeah, you know, we're not saying that I'm not saying that the world doesn't that there's all this sin that, that needs to be dealt with and, and the mess of the world, but. I mean, you can tell the way I'm talking. I, I don't. I don't have an answer to it other than say yeah. I don't like it. I, but that doesn't mean I don't. I don't love God and yeah. and want to grapple with what the Bible's saying here. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not taking issue with what you're saying. I suppose yeah. I'm just contrasting it with things like in Proverbs, where you see wisdom personified as a woman, hmm. which yeah. is the kind of opposite, isn't it, of that? Yeah, I, and I suppose later on in Zechariah, you have Joshua in his dirty robes, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Joshua is a heroic figure in that in that mm, image. Yeah. And yeah. and Fiona picking up what you're saying, yeah, it plays into what you know. The point I'm making is that that women are either virgins or harlots. You know that, that yeah. you've got lady wisdom, but you've also got a Madame Folly as well portrayed as the prostitute. So, it, I mean, I I think, I mean, this is maybe too controversial but this is this is where my line of speculation goes it's about men dealing with the relationship with their mothers and their lovers and and it's mm-hmm. about um trying i mean we're going to get too freudian here but um that there is a there is a male fear of of women which is about the relationship with their mothers and and all that kind of stuff and it shows up in lots of myths and that's that's why women are given such such power i mean it for all that it's a very problematic image, it's also an extremely powerful woman. Yeah. You know, this woman is all wickedness. Um, and it's not a mile away from the the different way that women will frequently talk about how they are addressed in social media. You know, women mm-hmm. in the public eye will say, it, you know, look at the levels of, of misogyny that, that go on. I mean, you, I know that you, you both have talked about this frequently. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a troubling image. Um, Phyllis, Phyllis, uh, I always get Phyllis Tribble and Phyllis Tickle mixed up. It's uh, <laughs> Phyllis Tribble, who is a wonderful uh, Old Testament uh, scholar. He uh, was once in a conversation with my old teacher, um, pr- uh, Professor uh, Yvonne Sherwood, and uh, Yvonne, wa- who Phyllis was kind of the first wave of feminist scholars. Yvonne would be the second or third wave, and uh, they were discussing a. a, a tricky passage in the bible and Yvonne who was pretty young in these days uh, said to Phyllis um, what do you deal with this passage here I think it was probably in Hosea and uh, and Phyllis uh, tick, Phyllis Tribble said that's a difficult one to redeem and I think I think that's where that's that's where I go yeah. with this passage here and I think it's it's so important to talk about it and to name it and to say it because again you've talked Fiona about how you know, you've spent all your life without talking about how Zechariah fits with Haggai, but I don't. Again, I don't think I've ever heard MD preach or teach on how you deal with this passage about women sure. being the personification of evil. Mm-hmm. And actually, just when you were talking, Neil, what I realised these verses, and I would encourage listeners to to read it rather, you know, to read Zechariah. It's important that you've read it for yourself. But the, the flying women and the wings and the basket, I mean, you, you can just see how that kind of thinking uh, could have been taken into um, the treatment of women who were who were seen as being witches. And yes. the whole, yes. um, the, the murder of, of women down through the generations, which I'm sure the church 
was part of at times, and I, I'm no expert on witchcraft trials and part of. Execution. I mean, huge they were part of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if yeah. you take, if we don't talk about these verses and yes. we don't deal with them properly, that's the wrong teaching that emerges. Yes, and women are drowned and burned because they're witches mm-hmm. and they fly and they're full mm-hmm. of sin. Um, and I had never th- hadn't thought about that before we started talking. So it just shows how important it is that you talk because when you talk. Um, you learn more and you and you yes. think more. Yeah, yeah. I think no. I think that's I think that's really helpful. I think it's it's helpful to think about the privilege you talked. You used the word privilege, Neil, when you were you were talking about um, your quiz there. The, the the privilege that we bring to any discussion mm. on that and the and the layers of cultural understanding. Because what you've just said about the witches, that's what popped into my head as soon as I was reading. I thought, oh gosh, that's really interesting, isn't it? And then you you know you relate that back to to Eve and how Eve is spoken of and actually how that informs the way we view the, the whole story of, of original sin. Um, and it, it's layered, it's multi-layered, isn't it, with with culture and art and uh, church teaching and church history for good or ill. So, yeah, I'm not really answering anything here. I'm just trying to do a wee summary. But, really but that's, where got the, to. that's where, as well, thinking about the scriptures is really important. You know, we've talked about this before. If you There's a view of scripture where you it's like a, computer program and perhaps i lived with this for years because i was a computer programmer you just download the script and then you just do what it says you know which one of us have been at talks where someone has said and here is the operational manual for life you know it's it's that way of reading the bible and we have to think about the bible and we we actually have to think of it in the light of the spirit and of experience and if somebody says oh no 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 you should never do that well we simply go to the life of Jesus and the writing of Paul, um, and we we discover that going on. And, you know, for Paul to write in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither male nor female, and to make the radicalism of that statement, or the utter radicalism of Jesus' relationship with 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 women, um, and his relationship with his mother was not always without its problems, um, the, but, but it's worked through. That those are the starting points to then come into these passages. Good. Well, I don't know if we've opened it up further or <laughs> made people think I'm never touching this book again. Uh, <laughs> let's keep going. So let, let's think about Joshua, this this picture that we see in, in Zechariah 6, sorry, 3 and then 6, uh, where we have uh, Joshua, the high priest, the crowned high priest. What What's going on there? What's the significance of all of that? This is a this is a remarkable chapter. I think it's at the heart of these visions. I think the two visions at the heart are the lampstand and the olive oils. We're going to probably talk about that in a wee minute. And then this this encounter between Joshua, who's the high priest, and the accuser, the Satan. And I don't know. I I feel that maybe Zerubbabel and Joshua have have been in these first waves of, of exiles who have come back. They've tried to restart the land. A restart building, and it's really kind of twenty years later. A whole lot of stuff really hasn't happened, and one could be tempted to say that they have failed as leaders. And what Zechariah does is he has this remarkable image of a Joshua Yeshua, which means the one who's saved, being accused by the Satan. In in, in the Hebrew, it's called the Satan, and the Satan is the accuser. It's like the prosecutorial. Um, attorney, a lawyer in the in the court of God, and of course later on that will be much more developed. But but here we meet the Satan. He's a prosecutor, and he's having a go at Joshua. And I I have to think of Joshua maybe has lived with all these doubts as a, a failure. I failed as a priest. I haven't brought the people together, and all the sins of the the people are onto Joshua. He's covered in blood, and and then of course he's made clean. And I, I wonder, you know, Joshua listening to that with that sense of being accused and then God cleanses him and, and through that cleansing takes away the, the sin of the people. And, but of course, and I cannot believe by the way, the New Testament doesn't pick up on this image at all. It's not referred to once. But I mean, for a start, the name Joshua is Jesus's name. We, we miss that. It's Yeshua. It's Yeshua in the Hebrew. And it this is an image of one who is the high priest taking on the sin of the, the people and then being cleansed. And for me, and standing against Satan, for me, this is also a picture of, of Christ. It, it's, I, I know there are plenty times when um, the, a kind of image of Christ in the Old Testament is forced, but this is one where I think you'd, you'd struggle not to go there with it. 
and I love the use of the clothes as well. The the yeah. the, the giving of the new robes because that, again that's something that thematically is picked up um, a number of times in throughout scripture actually, isn't it? That that taking away the taking away the, the clothes and robing in righteousness. Which yeah, is, yeah. Which is the, yeah, yeah. And the, and the beautiful picture at the end there in verse ten of chapter three about you know the servant, the branch is going to come. Um, the jewel, the stone, uh, and then every, you'll invite your neighbours to sit with you peacefully uh, under your vines and figs, that beautiful image of peace and being together in a, God's city and God's kingdom, what it's, what it's all about. There's a longing in these things, isn't it, in, in, in these days, uh, what God's kingdom should be like. It's a very embodied idea of salvation, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. it's the whole it's a land. Shalom will... picture, isn't it? Yeah, shalom yeah, picture. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I interrupted you. I'm no, but it was a, it was a, it was a benign introduction, <laughs> inter interruption. Yes, it is, and I, I would I, I, I suppose take on that as I think it's it, these are important things for the times we live in, aren't they? I think these are important things to to be finding hope. For those mm. outside of the the covenant at the moment, isn't it? To say there there is hope that you can come in and be part of this, and, and it's an embodied thing as well. You know that if we say that the whole structure is about a kind of reconciliation which happens in the in the the, the temple, both with the high priest and the and the Satan, and then the olive trees. And Jen, we when we were talking before, you said you. I think you said you loved this bit about the olive trees. Yeah, and, and I read it as if I'd never read it before. Maybe I haven't ever read it properly, but it was these. I mean, I could just, I just, I wanted to paint a picture. Maybe I should go and do that, get my paints out and actually paint it. Because you know, when you read a beautiful description of trees and the and and there seems to be the olive olive oils coming straight out of the trees into this bowl with the lamps, and they're coming and and they're bringing life, and. Um, I was a phrase, uh, life and something else, light, I suppose, <laughs> life and light. Um, but and then I read a wee bit in a book, a commentary about how you know the priest would have been the one in the temple who had to get the olive oil and put it in the lamps to bring the light. But in this image, um, it's, it's God doing it, and then and then we go on, don't we, later on to God saying, um, it's not it's not your power, it's not mm -hmm. your might, it's it's from my spirit, in this sense of the the olive coming straight from the trees, straight from the source into us. And that and that's the relationship we have with God. It's a direct connection and what we're about to celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? That we're not alone. Uh, God is with us. It kind of, it kind of puts paid to the myth myth that you sometimes hear as well, where people in you know the Old Testament, you don't really come across the the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Mm. And it's so clearly referring yeah, to yeah. the work of the Spirit, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and um, well, it takes me to two things. Firstly, I think I'm going to make an effort to make sure I remember this next time I pour olive oil because I mm -hmm. I love cooking with olive oil. Um, I I don't like the kind of you know that spray one cal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> olive oil, full heart. This is the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> and and also, this is a I was in a book group earlier on this week where we were we were studying in the God of the Old Testament, and somebody had said. You know, if you went to our congregations and said, who is the God of the Old Testament? I think most people would come up with an answer not a million miles away from that famous passage in Richard Dawkins's book, The God Delusion, where he absolutely tears into the, the God of the Old Testament. That would be their image. And yet here is this beautiful image of, of olive oil and of lampstands and of care and this mountain with the top stone and people shouting grace grace to it it's just stunningly beautiful and and this is the heart you, you were saying Fiona you know at this time that there's something about worship being healing for the whole of the earth here that the, the temple itself is seen as constituting a a place that's almost cosmic. It's almost the 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 temple almost represents the whole the whole earth. You know that's why the, the the holy of holies is cubic because it's meant to represent the whole of the universe. And that that somehow if the temple is made right, and these are a group of people who are trying to rebuild the temple, if the temple is made right, then somehow this will be good news for the whole of the earth. And and if in our churches our worship is a place of genuine spirit and truth, then I think 
out of that flows a river which is healing for the whole of the earth. Beautiful. Very beautiful. You said something before we started, Neil, about um, the job of the prophet is to stretch the imagination oh, and yeah. vision. Yeah, and you really, when you, those kind of pictures really do that, don't they? Um, Jen, you were, you were wanting to talk a little bit about measuring, about how we measure things, I think. Yeah, I'm just trying to find the, the verse. Is it chapter two? Yeah, so the other, there's another vision which we haven't talked about is um, that the angel... Oh, no, it's a man. He sees a man with a measuring line. Where are you going? I, I just love it. <laughs> you can make this into a great drama, if you're a, a great audio <laughs> drama. <laughs> where, are you going with, where are you going with that measuring tape? I mean, I'm not really one for measuring. You know, I'm not really a technical kind of person, but uh, where are you going with that measuring? I'm going to measure Jerusalem to see how wide and long it is. Um, and then he says, run, run and, and get it done. And and then there's a bit about the, the protective wall of fire that it is from God that's protected the city. It's not the walls that have been built. But I was, yes, I was thinking about measuring. What what does that mean for us in our churches, our Christian communities? Um, not the numbers, not the the counting of people from different age groups that were maybe sometimes asked to do or how many were at an event. or But measuring how wide and long we are and high and deep and how, how good is our love and are we caring and are we sharing Jesus? And, and and I think you can only really do that by conversation, like good. I mean, talk about questionnaires and things, but really it's conversation. Uh, what was your experience? Uh, what was good about being here today? What, you know, um, and, and I want to talk about that a wee bit more in my Jen's gem about questioning because there's a questioning bit as well. The people come to Zechariah later on, don't they? And they, they ask a question, um, Help me out with the chapter. I think that's um, maybe eight, nine. Anyway, they come and ask questions. But I think measuring and questioning goes together. If we don't question, we can't measure. And and if this is in Zechariah, but measuring the city, how much more do we measure? Need to measure what we're doing as God's people today. It, yeah, the questioning is that the people who are seeking to go to the other city. Yeah. Although yes, they come with a eight. question about the why are we doing this festival or something or yeah. It's also an image of yeah. building. So the two yeah. go together. It's it's asking yeah. a question with a view yeah. to build. It's That's a true. it's a well, quite literally constructive questioning. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. Very good. And we're back to the walls and the gates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Is there anything else anybody wants to say at this point, or is it time, do you think, for a, a gem? Jed, what have you got for us? I want to share a wee bit of a friend of mine who's a bit of an expert in intergenerational ministry. Uh, maybe uh, he's done a lot of work on it. And his name's Darren Phillip. He's the youth and children's development worker at, I'm going to get this right, Livingston United Parish Church. And uh, Darren recently did a PhD on um, children in an intergenerational church community, Lessons for the Church of Scotland from the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So we'll put his, I think it's freely available, his PhD. I hope it is because it's a great read. I was on a panel with Darren once talking about intergenerational ministry and he had a lovely turn of phrase about this idea of measuring what we do and asking children their experiences um, about church. And he said often we might say to children, um, what did you enjoy the most today? And he was reflecting when, when he was a wee boy, if somebody had asked him about church, they asked him, what did you enjoy the most? He would say, when I played football in the hall after the service, because that was the thing he enjoyed the most. And so he think we need to be careful with our questions. And he said, why we should be asking children and young people and all ages questions about church, like when did you feel closest to God today? Now, the answer might still be the same when I played football. That's, that's okay. But how we ask the questions when we're measuring what we're doing really matters. And I think that's true in Bible chat as well. Now, sometimes we approach that as if we've got a list of English interpretation questions and we're trying to find the right, right answer. But questions that are open-ended are so important. And I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners will, will know about open-ended questioning, but look into it. You want questions that are going to take people help people express themselves how they feel about the bible how they feel about this bit of the passage what was difficult what was good uh, what challenged them what questions they want to ask so measuring and questioning should be part of our children's and youth ministry and our intergenerational experiences fantastic thank you very much and we'll put a link to well if we hopefully we'll be able to get hold of that phd and people can um, I could read that yeah, at the leisure. We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Okay, <laughs> good stuff. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much to both of you. Um, I suppose the question is about the takeaway. What's your takeaway from this? 
Well, two, one, it's a really obvious one. I didn't know that Jen knew Darren, so that's really nice. Uh, And I suppose I'm just thinking about that question of, well, I think that that image of Joshua in the middle, but also the discussion that we had about um, the woman being the embodiment of all wickedness. And and maybe, sorry, this is three takeaways. Maybe ought to preach maybe ought to preach in Zechariah a bit more often. (laughs) Jen, what's yours? Yeah. There's so much, and there's so much we haven't talked about. And the other Mm -hmm. other thing that struck me throughout Zechariah, there's a repetition about God's intolerance uh, for lies and scheming. Mm. And that's a word a word Mm -hmm. for just now. And um but I think I think also with Neil about the the woman, the woman being the embodiment of evil, and I think I know there's probably other bits of the Bible that say that. And you've we've talked about Revelation, and maybe not that I, I go trying to find them, but that when I'm reading the Bible, I'm always aware of how women are being represented in, in that context and how to dig into that and to find out what God's doing in that part of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, that would also echo uh, mine, I think, as well. But the other thing I was going to do is I'm going to try and read a bit more like Jen. <laughs> She'd get a little wristband, how to read like Jen or something, I don't know. Uh, because when we started, we ha- you haven't said this when we've been recording, but you said something about, what about the bit about the zombies? And Neil and I were like, what are you oh, talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> what have you been reading? And you were talking about the end chapter where yep. it talks about the, the people with the, the, what was it, their eyes dropping out? And their, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it... And it's about said, a plague. Yeah, yeah, and as soon as you said that, I thought, yeah, you're right, it does sound like zombies. And I think I sometimes approach scripture with a bit too much of a reverence and I don't allow my um, initial reactions to, to register. So I'm going to read more like Jen <laughs> and find the zombies. <laughs> and if you haven't read, see, now if you're listening and you haven't read all the way to the end of the book, that's going to encourage you to go and read that and think about the zombies. Um, great. Well, thank you very much to both of you. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about the book of Malachi. Did you know that, you two? Uh, Do you remember that from our special <laughs> special spreadsheet? So we're talking about so we're rounding off this series by, with a discussion on the book of Malachi, the last book in the Bible. So not Micah, Jen, not Mark, Malachi. This is the joke that's going to okay. run and run, really. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's going to finish. Who's going to study Mark? <laughs> well, no, but Jen always I just get and Zephaniah confused. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I said to Anna this morning, I'm going to study Zechariah, and and she immediately thought we were going to talk about Advent. You see? Yeah. It's but there is a lot of Zechariahs in the Bible. Oh, yes, that's true. You know, that is quite true. a common name, yeah, isn't it? How many? The There's Zechariah, the father, John the Baptist, and Zechariah, the prophet. Who else is there? He's putting you under... It's like one of his quizzes, Jen. This is, like, this is like when one of Neil's... How many Zechariahs? <laughs> quizzes. What does C-E stand for? <laughs> common name, common name. Um, <laughs> What does Q mean? Anyway, so we're back next time uh, on Malachi. That's going to be the final episode of this series. And then after Christmas, uh, we'll have a bit of a break and then we'll be thinking about the book of John. So that's exciting. If you're reading ahead, don't forget you can get your Light and Life Gospels available through uh, Scottish Bible Society. Or, of course, the book of John is also found in your regular Bible. Um, Now, if you want to get in touch with any of us, don't forget you can email on outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or obviously through general chat if you know any of us join us next time and thank you very much to both of you thank you thank you, thank you.